Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 911 emergency. Police. Search goes on in San Francisco for the man known as the Zodiac Killer. In New York, the search continues for the 44 caliber killer. See if you can explain to me why I would want to be a Scientologist. Betches Media presents. Tell me we have a lead. Stone Cold, no. It was literally like the Hunger Games. Not another true crime podcast. What can I say? Tough titties. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And we're usually your partners in wine and crime and spending some time with you. But today, there's no wine because it's early, but also just because we have a special guest. We have, I'm calling him, he's like, he's emotional wine. You know what I mean? Because I feel like we're going to leave this a little tipsy, a little fun, a little refreshed and wanting more. You know what I mean, Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) So... Today, we're joined by Troy Roberts. The I'm going to give you some accolades right now. I'm going to read your accolades because you got a lot, Troy, before we jump you in. He's an Emmy award-winning journalist and news correspondent known for his work on CBS's 48 Hours and being the anchor on Oxygen's Killer Motive. What a name. In his extensive career that we'll get into, he's covered a variety of cases nationally, including the Boston bombings, the Sandy Hook shooting, and the 1996 Atlanta Summer Games bombing, among many, 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 many others. Hey, Troy, how you doing? Hey, how are you guys? Thank you so much for having I mean, we, me. We got, we got, we got to hype, we got to hype you up because I mean, you, you've been, do, you've been doing a lot. You've been, you've been uh, killing the game for a lack of a better word. You've been doing so much, and we're just so happy that you're taking the time to talk to us. I, I, I love uh, talking about my job. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy business that I'm in, and in, in true crime. Um, I started taking some stabs at it when I was just a cub reporter in Portland, Oregon, uh, covering the white separatist movement and covering cults. And it kind of grew from there uh, when I was hired at CBS. And um, I, I, I think what draws me to this space, this genre, is that you can't solve it. It's just something that just continues over and over again. How do you explain someone's psychology and what drives them to kill? And my show, Killer Motive, is really not just about that horrible act, the final act. It's what drives someone to kill. And, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to many killers, serial killers, random killers. And my, the first question out of my mouth is, why? Why are you here? Why are you behind these walls right now? And uh, I, I, I hope, you know, we, my hope is with this show is you delve into the mind of a killer. Uh, because, you know, we... 
we take public transportation all the time, we're taking subways, buses, and, and the killers aren't frothing at the mouth. Their eyes are spinning in their heads. And I have shaken hands with evil. I have eaten with evil. And you wouldn't know that person to be so sinister and, and a psychopath. And so that's what, what drives me. And I, I'm not sure if I'll ever have the answer um, as to why people kill. I feel that's such an interesting question, too, because something me and Sarah always talk about when we watch uh, documentaries or cover cases is that these people don't just wake up one day and decide this is what I'm going to do today. It's a long, there's a lot that happens in their life or that they go through that leads them, unfortunately, down such a dark path. Yeah, and, and there are moments where it's just, people are just triggered and they go off. I, I mean, did you guys see the video of the, uh, of the incident in Pennsylvania? Um, it was over shoveling snow. And yes. that guy, did you see that video? It was, in, yeah. That was insane. And all it takes is just one comment or a bad comment and people just go off and there's no rhyme or reason. And um, I, I, I think what I wanted to do with this show was that you, you, you want to tell people about a motive, like the journey to the murder. Um, as painful as that is, it's more about the backstory. Are there any sort of like commonalities or common threads that you've sort of noticed as you've been covering these killers throughout? I, I, I would say the commonality is drug abuse and greed. I, I think those are the two threads. Um, there, there's a, a lot of drug abuse and greed. I, I, uh, I picked up Robert Chambers um, from prison when he was released, and we flew him down on a private plane to do the interview, to keep him away from the competition. And his mom was with us, and his father, and eventually his girlfriend arrived. It was the strangest week in this hotel because there's there were the the shriners is that what it is guys with the wear the hats uh they had a convention at this hotel and i was trapped in a hotel with robert chambers and shriners for a week i'm not kidding and uh i i spent time with him and it, it was all about for him, it was his drive for drugs and how addicted he was to, to drugs. And that's why he killed Miss Levin. Um, and and the, the common theme, I believe, is, is jealousy and greed. You wouldn't believe how many people die over just minuscule amounts of money. Um, it, it, there's so many stories, and in fact, many of the stories that I've pitched have been rejected because it's the same theme. It's about insurance money. Um, 
Everyone wants a quick payday and they don't care about the collateral damage and they kill over not a lot of money. We're not talking about billionaires. It's like, uh, that's what strikes me uh, as the common thing. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. Like so many episodes that we cover are just husband murdered his wife for the life insurance. Uh, life, in- I, mean, I think that should be a show. Life insurance. (laughs) Or just like they just need someone when they're walking down the aisle telling them, don't, don't. (laughs) It's it's so crazy. And I feel like that's the thing too that I feel growing up, everyone is always taught, oh, the stranger in the van. And then you're like, oh no, it's the stranger in your house. Sometimes or your neighbor or your friendly neighbor that (laughs) can all of a sudden turn on you. Or flip a switch, because exactly what you said, it's not anyone frothing at the mouth. It's these people silently calculating everything. Right. And with that, too, I was wondering, were there any moments in your career that you started to get a little fearful, either of the case or a case that maybe was too close to, like, it kind of started to have you, like, overtake your mind? Uh, there Many times. I, I've, I cover the white separatist movement and the skinheads in Oregon and Washington State, and I've had guns pointed to my head. I, uh, I did a story. This is so weird. I did a story in uh, Lower Siberia, in Russia. I interviewed the mastermind of a child, worldwide child pornography ring. And he, um, I walked into the apartment with my crew, and he had these pictures that we, we, on his walls, that were objectionable, to say the least. And we had no place to shoot except into his kitchen. Um, So we shot the interview in his kitchen, and I actually, I made a mistake during that interview because I let my rage show instead of having him tell the story. And that was bad on me. I should have let him talk, and it was about my rage. And he was talking about his porn, child porn empire. And in the middle of the interview, get this, In the middle of the interview, the door opens and this old woman comes walking in. Mind you, I'm in like Lower Siberia. Walks in and she starts screaming. And and I said, who is that with my translator? And And he says, that's my mother. So he was living with this child porn king master was living with his mother in an apartment in Lower Siberia with... Literally, he had dildos on the mantle and pictures of young boys on the wall. And he would tell, he told me how he would have his actors shave their pubic hair to make them look younger. And of course, I am getting enraged. How can you not? So we finished the interview and I, I went outside to do a stand up like, you know, outside, like, you know, here we are outside the King Corn's house, blah, blah, blah. And two black cars pull up and they start screaming at my translator and my fixer and they slap her. And 
I'm thrown into the back of a car with a gun pointed to my head. And I'm taken to a jail and I'm put into a jail cell. And I don't know what's going on because I don't have my translator. And I'm sitting in the jail cell smoking cigarettes. And the security guard comes by. This was the humorous part. He says, don't worry. I like black America. I see Eddie Murphy in the clumps. And he walks on. What? (laughs) (laughs) And that was supposed to be comforting to me, but it wasn't. (laughs) But it ended up being a shakedown. I guess CBS had to pay like $5,000. They took all of our material, but we had to pay $5,000 to get it back. And I got the first plane back to Moscow after I was released after five hours. And um, so, you know, it's, I I look back at that, it was just uh, a bizarre experience. And I wanted to, and I've been talking to someone about the child porn industry because uh, recently about doing a story after the FBI agents were murdered trying to serve uh, this man in Florida and they were, uh, bombarded and murdered uh, trying to serve this search warrant. And if you see the numbers, uh, because during this pandemic, the, the numbers of, uh, of child porn live streaming is through the roof. People's freaks are coming out. God. And they know that the kids are home. Oh, God. Uh, with their computers. And I thought this would be an important story. I mean, the, the woman that was killed, Janice, she was a mother of two. She's kind of like Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. The, and the way she went in there to, to serve a warrant and arrest this child porn king in Florida. And I, I think it's, it's a story that I want to tell and it's, it's distasteful, but if you look at the numbers, it's gone up according to the missing children and exploited children's website. It's gone up 100% during this pandemic and it's a frightening number. And I, I think to, to do a story that's wrapped around this woman's work would be interesting. And, oh, geez, you know what? I just realized I'm telling people <laughs> story ideas. <laughs> well, we're listening. It is a great story. Hey, I was, I, I was, know, I don't want yeah, that was, yeah. to take it from me. <laughs> but, uh, but no, when I did the first story in Russia at, at the FBI, there is this room where they're monitoring in real time people that are viewing this material in real time and you just see the board and and you're astounded. And then you realize like, my God, a hundred percent, it's gone up 100%. And also the, the number of children that are uh, the reports of children being abused or exploited has dropped dramatically, which means that our agencies aren't out there investigating during this time. So anyway, I don't, oh, 
I'm giving out story ideas. I don't want to. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, no one steal his story ideas. No, come on, people. Come on, people. Just because you travel so much for your job, and when you're traveling, it's usually for heavy subjects. So I kind of wonder when you go on a vacation for yourself, are you like, how do you plan a place? Because if you're looking at a place, you're like, oh, there, here's an awful thing that happened there. Or are you just kind of able to like compartmentalize? to sip a drink on the beach. <laughs> I, I think that's the only way you can get through it, doing this job. And you know what? I'm not a pediatric oncologist. And I mean, that's, I mean, I've done stories working with those amazing people. Um, I, it, it's challenging what I, what I do. I think, um, What's hard for me is that you parachute into people's lives when they're broken and you ask them to tell their story and you bring in cameras and lights and sound and producers and you ask them to ignore all those people around you and just talk to me and they bear their souls. And in some ways it's cathartic for them or they want to memorialize their lost loved ones. Um, I don't know what their motivation is, um, but they do it and, and they're incredibly gracious and kind. And we pack up all of our gear and I don't know what to say. I mean, you say thank you, but you know, as a human being, you want to you want to make them feel better. You know, you want to say something. I don't have the words to heal a broken heart or to bring someone back. And that's the hard part about this job. I'm not going through it. They are. But, you know, I mean, how many times have you been at a funeral? I'm like, you're at a loss for words. You want to say something comforting and you're just like kind of lacking. And, you know, I've done this for so long and I've never been able to find those words um, except thank you and I'm sorry. So that's the hard part about the job. Completely. I'm kind of curious how, like when you're, when you're going after like these bad people, like, this guy who, you know, is leading a child ring, how do you convince them to like talk to you? And what's their motivation for doing that? Arrogance. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no. I, for a, a lot of the killers and, and, uh, and people who, who hate, um, they're arrogant. They think they're smarter than anyone else. And so you, you, you play to that. Um, that's my way in. And also, um, with many killers, I, and I've done this many times, is I go to the mother. I, I appeal to their mother. And that's my way in, because the killers will listen to their mother. 
And so I'll make friends with the mother. What was the, the story? The, the woman um, who killed these rugby players, these frat guys at Duke University. I, I went to the house and I wanted to interview this killer and I wanted to get to the parents and the parents went and talked to me and, but I knew they were church going people. And so I found out what church they went to and I went to the reverend. Ooh, power move. <laughs> That's how Yay! I got in. <laughs> I went to the reverend and made, made friends with the reverend and I got in to do that interview and the reverend was at the interview off camera praying like this, like hands up, like praying <laughs> during the interview. So that was my way in. You just, you figure it out. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways of getting in. I remember when I was trying to find Michael Jackson after uh, his trial and he fled to Vegas, and I went to Vegas, my order was, find Michael Jackson. And I went, jeez. And so... Yeah, that's a heavy task. <laughs> he he has some bodyguards. Yeah, <laughs> I arrive at the air, airport and I'm there, and I get in the cab and I gave the cab driver fifty bucks and I said, "Take me to the hotel where Michael Jackson is." And he got on the two A or like, and he took me and like they knew there was a circuit, you know, with the the cab drivers all knew where Michael Jackson was, <laughs> and so. I ended up like booking a hotel room below Michael Jackson because you just like work those things, you know? You're doing like noise complaints to get him to come down. You're like banging your broom. (laughs) Making a lot of noise. So he's like, Hey, stop that. That is, I feel like you, I mean, I guess you have to be, uh, good at this for your job but like I feel like you're so good at thinking quickly on your feet and being able to like analyze someone so fast how have like is that a skill you learned over time or were you just like innately uh great at analyzing people and their motives and behaviors um I'm pretty much of an introvert so I watch people um and what that's what's so crappy about this time is, you know, I moved to New York because I like people. Oh, the first like dates watch, were the best to awkwardly watch. Like watching people and and learning learning more about them. You know, I, I know some famous actors and actresses and I I've never asked that question. How do you get your information to be, you know, to to get into a character? Because, you know, you're you're so famous. Um, you know, I don't have that level of fame. So I, I enjoy watching people and learning that way. That makes sense. I'm, I'm, oh, it, no, 100%. Yeah, it does. And I love that too, because it just has the, it's like the innate interest. So even when like you're not, when you're not on the job, if you're pre-pandemic, if you're out to dinner, are you looking at the tables next to you being like, what's going on here? Type of oh thing? yeah, are you kidding? It's the best theater. It's the best theater in New York, yeah. Oh, I love, I love it. And back in the day, people, I used to love like people made an effort when they went out. They got dressed and they went out and... I mean, I'm older than you guys, but, you know, back in the day, 
we would uh, take a disco nap and get dressed and go out and make an effort. We used to do that, too. He's looking (laughs) right at me in leggings, a cardigan that maybe is from Chico's. Even I don't know how I got a Chico's cardigan. (laughs) It's all happening. But I know what you mean. I miss that, too, because everyone now is just dressed like it's truly you're hungover in college, which is... Well, I, I feel like I could ask you about just all the crazy cases you've covered forever, but I do want to talk a little bit about the case that you'll be covering on Killer Motive, um, the murder of Navy Commander Alfonso Das. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to cover this case specifically? Um, you know, you know what was... It- What's so tragic is that uh, a young person's life is cut short. Um, And this guy pulled it together. And over nothing, um, again, insurance was involved. Uh, He he was gunned down in his car. And he he was struggling uh, to make his way, and he was gunned down over insurance money. And what was striking to me is that the person who carried out the two people who carried out the crime he considered friends. And you know, I'm, I'm a single dad of a 22 year old who's here doing remote and. You know, he always thinks that I'm neurotic and crazy when I tell him to be careful about the company you keep. Um, but it's true in this case. This, uh, this guy, and I didn't even know this. This is something I learned is, you know, the, the military services give you life insurance policies. And and the premiums were really, really small. And he was going around, I don't know why, what motivated him, asking people if they wanted to be beneficiaries of his life insurance. Um, and you would think it was his immediate family and he considered his sister, but he was asking other people in the unit if they wanted to be beneficiaries. And his so-called friends um, took that as an opportunity to uh, forge his signature on his life insurance documents and killed him for that money. I think it's a lesson about being careful about who you bring into your circle. Um, You you want to be protective and not paranoid, but... um, it's a cautionary tale about who you bring into your circle and also try to recognize, and this is, I mean, I'm still learning this at my age. um, uh, Who are the damaged people um, that are around you? I I, I said this before, it's like, this is not verbatim, but Maya Angelou was right. If you see crazy walking towards you across the street, yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. And she also says, and this is not verbatim, 
people tell you who they are and you have to believe them the first time. And the old yeah. chestnut from my mother is, I can be miserable all by myself. I don't need any help being miserable. So that's why I tell my son that's he I was going to say, that quote rings has never rung truer than this past year. Because let me tell you, misery would love some company right now, but it's a pandemic and I can't have any company. So here we are. <laughs> and was there anything in picking the cases for killer uh, motive? Were you seeking out anything in particular? Like what were drawing you to these cases? I think for me, the, the stories that interest me are stories that beat. It's not just, oh, someone's shot dead. You know, it's done. I like, I like stories with reveals and beats. It's not, it's linear, but then you go off the rails and you come back again. Um, it, you know, I, I, I did a story on, on a man who killed uh, his wife, but when you, when you delve deep, into the story, he was also he also abused his child, who tipped off police to the murder, and then we find out that the dad who carried out the crime was a transsexual, and it was just I mean, you, you've got to keep you've got to have the beats in the story. I mean, it's an hour when you take out commercials is forty one minutes. You got to go, like, come on, you got to move it along. Let's go. So um, I, I love those stories with beats and reveals. Wow, that kind of has so many twists and turns. It feels like an episode of like Law and Order or something, but it's real. <laughs> well, and I feel like it's kind of a, it's um, for, because I like that it's both with that, you're uncovering these cases that need to be brought to light and are very fascinating for people to learn about and grow from it. But, and also at the same time, you're understanding that these people are watching the program, that it needs to, there needs to be a reason to watch it or more layers to do it because I feel there are some uh, true crime coverage that you watch and you're kind of like, oh, there's nothing really pulling at me here. I'm learning about it here. It's a very unfortunate situation. But I like when it's like, no, these are real life people and real life things because I feel when, because life has so many twists. So you're showing them, this is real life. <laughs> I know. And, it's, it, and thankfully, it, my, my life is not that it, <laughs> all i do is watch like tv on the couch drinking wine my life is so yeah so i don't have any of these twists yeah we're not getting kidnapped in siberia so. <laughs> i can't even put to siberia oh, yeah. on a map i'm from new jersey that blame the public education <laughs> you look so much like andrew reynolds Oh my God. Thank I'm you. I'm looking at you and I'm like, oh my God. He's a nice man. He looks so He's a nice a lot of things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'll take that. Well, huh. Maybe, I'll, maybe I should get into singing after this. We'll see. Because he has an amazing voice. He's an amazing, he's a nice man too. Nice. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, Sarah, refer to me only as Andrew Reynolds now. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> And what would be, when um, looking back on all of the cases they've done, is there one, because it's so hard, I feel like, to pick one out, is there, has there been one from this uh, season that you're kind of like, oof, this one's going to stick with me for a while in particular? Yes. Um, 
And again, I compartmentalized a lot of it for my health, but uh, I, I did a story about a, a 19-year-old um, woman, uh, Savannah Greywind in Fargo, North Dakota. She was nine months pregnant and her upstairs neighbor asked her to come up uh, to help her with the sewing project. And uh, Savannah went up. She, she knew this woman slightly, not, not well, but, um, and this woman, I, I won't say her name, um, strangled her and performed a uh, crude cesarean and got the baby. And the baby survived. And she and her boyfriend, who I interviewed, uh, put her in a, hauled out a bureau and put her, put the body, Savannah's body in a bureau and dumped her in the river in the middle of the night and claimed that the baby was hers. And the assailant all along was telling everybody that she was pregnant, which when she wasn't. And so it was a, a fetal, fetal adoption. And, um, I interviewed Savannah's parents and, and I met the baby and um, just the, it was a year after the murder and the torture, when you meet people that are in so much pain. And again, going back to what I said earlier, it's like, what do you say? to someone because particularly the dad because she was daddy's little girl and after the interview I I, I told them I'm sorry but it's like so inadequate yeah it's and I'm really worried about him uh, and I called him like a week later just to check in because talk about you know I'm, you can see someone was just raging inside. And I, I've done stories before where dads, it's interesting, dads who lose their little girls and they've taken their own lives. And I fear that for Mr. Greywind. Um, he's fine now, but this is just a recent story that I did that was so painful. Um, and you have no words. Yeah, that's horrible. It's so, it's so hard. And I feel like it's, and exactly like you said, sorry is so can be so minute for those, but I feel like that's why you are also so talented at, and gifted at what you do, because even though it doesn't feel it, I'm sure even from talk, hearing you retell it right now, you genuinely care and you genuinely have feelings and remorse and these stories stick with you for better or for worse. And that's why you're quite literally born to do what you're doing. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. And I, I know I'm definitely, and I feel, of course, I mean, I guess there's no happy way to really wrap up a true crime podcast. Me and Sarah are slowly <laughs> realizing, but I do, I do just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I hope, when we get all vaccinated, that we can all people watch and drink wine together. I would like that. 
I, 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 there's some, there's some bars I have in mind in the Tribeca area. Oh yeah. That I love a good margarita. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's a great place. Alan Cumming. God, I hope he opens it. Alan Cumming has a great place in the East village or Broadway club coming. Yes. I love that. Oh man. We should go. I mean, it's small, but I want, I, I miss the small places. I just miss, Speakeasies. Oh, yeah. give me a small place with like a well, a well drink, my Chico's cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm singing cabaret all day. I'll just, I'll get up there. Alan Cumming will be dragging me off as I'm doing my best Liza. <laughs> you sing? Do you sing? As everyone can. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying right. to hit a note. All right. All right, Mr. Andrew Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be riding the high from that compliment for the rest of my life, but especially on Saturday uh, when we'll be able to see Troy Roberts himself on Oxygen. Please, please, please. I'm Sarah's tuning in. Troy, if you tune in, I don't blame you for watching yourself on TV because I probably would too. So if we see Troy watching himself, <laughs> watching Killer Motive, don't judge him. He can't watch people in real life. He, he, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> It was so great talking to you both. Thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. This is so much fun. I would truly, I would like to hang. I would love when that. we can. Okay. Yes. Oh, a dream. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. So Troy has left, and we're riding the high from him. Uh, so of course, you know, we can't just leave with Troy because we can't get drinks with him yet. So we're bringing back we're bringing back Jorge for a fun little game to wrap this episode up. Everyone is loving the games, and so are we. So Jorge, what do you got for us? Hello. So this week we are playing a game called Are You Knowledgeable? <laughs> 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 so this was related to the case that's actually coming out on Troy Roberts' show. The victim of the case was actually a Navy officer. So I thought we could round it all off with a little five rounds of uh, pirate trivia. Oh, I God. love this. A fun <laughs> fact go. about me is that I, I, I like knew a lot of people in the ROTC in college. So I might randomly be good at this, even though oh, shit. that wasn't pirates. <laughs> so, I have we'll no see. faith in myself. So let's go. <laughs> it's five questions, multiple choice, so you'll at least have a good guess for all of these. Okay, so first up, we have, who was the first ship commander to successfully circumnavigate the world? Was it A, Blackbeard, B, Ferdinand Magellan, C, Francis Drake, or D, Henry Morgan? Was it Magellan? I'm going to go with Magellan. That is actually a common misconception. You are both wrong. Uh, oh, so I mean, Ferdinand, I thought it was Vasco da Gama over here. So I was like, he's not a choice. I thought your first person you said was Black Bear. And I was like, he's a rapper. So I. <laughs> <laughs> so Ferdinand Magellan actually was the first person to plan the circumnavigation of the globe. And he got super close. He sailed all through the Americas. He got through the Strait of Magellan, which is on the south tip of South America. But he actually died in the Philippines, just a little short of his destination, because he was hit by a poison arrow fired by some natives that he was trying to convert to Christianity. Mm, deserved. So, <laughs> if only he could have kept his religion in check, he would have made it. But uh, <laughs> Francis Drake actually followed his same route and completed the circumnavigation about 50 years later, sponsored by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, 
Oh, interesting. I like it. Got some history. History. Okay. Next up. Now, uh, moving on to some modern day pirates. What was the highest ransom ever paid to the Somali pirates after capturing a ship? Was it A, $2 million? Was it $5.5 million? $9 million? Or $13.5 million? I'm going to play at the middle of the road and go $9 million. Oh, like do, I'll do 13 because that's Taylor Swift number. <laughs> it was 13. Damn it. So Danny is on the board. I'm not good Taylor at these number Swift games. The assist. Fearless 2021 version coming out. We're excited. <laughs> <laughs> so this ransom was paid um, for a, a ship called Irene SL, which was a very large crude carrier, the LCC for short, Ooh. that had about Two million barrels of oil in it, which was worth oh. two hundred million dollars. So they actually and they got it for thirteen. Yeah, good, good, good deal, good grift, yeah. good grift. Good that is, yeah, that is uh, yeah, that is uh, flea market flip. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next question is about the Goonies. Have you guys watched that movie? No. Uh, I feel like maybe, but I don't remember. Okay, but I so might know some things. I could know a thing or two about a thing or two. Who knows? <laughs> All right, so what was the name of One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship in the Goonies? Was it A, El Muerto, B, Nebuchadnezzar, C, Inferno, or D, Queen Anne's Revenge? I'm going to go with D because that feels vaguely familiar. I was going to say that too. The correct answer was C, Inferno. Oh, that was good. (laughs) Between the two. Damn it. Okay. So this ship, it's actually a fantastic sequence. They like go down some water slides and they just find this ship and they all sort of start erupting into cheers and they're so happy that they found the ship with pressure inside. It's a great movie. You, sh- you guys should watch it. It's, Ooh, okay. um, it's a classic too. But what's <laughs> funny about this is that they actually built the full scale ship for the movie and they kept it secret from the kids because they wanted the first time that they saw it to be a genuine reaction. Um, but the so first time that the kids actually saw it, they cursed so much that they couldn't use that tape. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually had to re-record it uh, without them cursing. Oh, that's so oh, cute. Let a kid curse. Come on. <laughs> We're all adults here, I guess, besides that. Danny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, we have what was the first island that the infamous colonizer Christopher Columbus encountered on his fateful trip to the Americas? Was it A, Haiti, B, Cuba, C, the Bahamas, or D, Puerto Rico? Sorry. Oh, my God, why don't I know this? Jeez, the education system failing again. (laughs) I want to say Bahamas. I'm going to go with... I don't know. I don't think this is right. Wait, what are they again? It's Cuba, Bahamas, Haiti, Haiti or Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Uh, I have truly no idea. And like, no I'm sense a communications of major. Like, guys. Let's just go with Cuba. Danny's right again. It was the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Just take my degree back. I don't deserve it. Oh, Sarah, these are not, edu- these are not educated guesses. These are just me. <laughs> Thinking, what would Taylor Swift say? <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually a really funny story about this. Um, Christopher Columbus, being the grifter that he was, 
Mm-hmm. So the Queen of Spain had actually promised a yearly pension of 10,000 maravedis for life to the first person who sighted land. And the first person to actually sight land was this guy called Rodrigo. He woke up really early and October 12th, after five weeks of being on the, at sea, he saw and alerted everyone. But then Christopher Columbus claimed that he had seen it the evening before. What a dick bag. Oh my God. Just all Tracks. around the world. so hard. I know. And he actually got the pension. So. Oh my God. Thanks, Columbus. Oh. All right. Last up, we have who was the name of the infamous Irish female pirate who sailed with Girl Calico boss. Jack after becoming his lover? Oh, was okay. it A, Anne Bonnie, B, Kaylee Byrne, C, Leisha Walsh, or D, Shannon Doyle? Shannon Doyle, because she sounds Irish and I'm going to pay homage to my roots. My roots. <laughs> I'm going with Anne Bonnie because of that song, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. The song worked for you this time, Sarah. Yeah. You are right. <laughs> what song is that? I got one. <laughs> Not a shutout. So Anne Bonnie is actually was known for having a very fiery temper. When she was 13, she stabbed a servant girl in the belly with a table knife for making her angry. Yeah, who hasn't? <laughs> Later on, she beat a young sailor almost to death for showing an interest in her. Okay, that's inspirational. Wow. Yeah, where is the... Wh- wh- let's bring more of that back into the equation. Oh, yeah. So she was, she was born in Ireland, and then she married some random sailor who took her to the Americas. And while she was there in the Bahamas, actually, she met Calico Jack and ran away with him and turned to pirating. And after a long career of pillaging and plundering, her pirate crew was actually captured in Jamaica while they were too drunk to fight back. So her last words to oh my God. her husband, uh, Calico Jack, and her baby's father was, had you fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. Damn. I mean, I feel like, honestly, Danny, if we let a pirate ship, that would happen to us. We would just get too drunk to fight back. We'd be like, oh. just snatcher. I love that you think the ship would sail. Well, that too. No, we that would just even be like get to the frying part. pan, and we'd just be like parked like on the Hudson River. Well, here's my thing. The pirates really missed a market with that because I feel like they would have loved a bar ship. Oh, yeah. So that was our game. And uh, the answer to are you knowledgeable is yes, you are Danny, the winner. Yes. I am. Wow. Wait, so does that song have to do with her or it was just random and I made it up? I don't know that song. Okay. What hymns are you listening to about pirates, Sarah? Like, what's going on here? (laughs) Me and pirates? Oh, I don't know. You know that song. I'm not going to sing it, but I have a feeling the same people who knew about my SpongeBob reference are going to know the song that I'm talking about. So slide in our DMs in ATC pod. And yes, I did screenshot all your responses who was like, I know what you're talking about. So thank you guys for that. Damn. Okay. Well, if you, I don't know, just want to get drunk and DM me, you could do that. I, have, I don't really know SpongeBob that much. <laughs> you can DM me at, at Cashmere Daddy, Cash with a K. And also, when we get the drinks for Troy, which is going to happen, I'm going to follow up like say, a fucking crazy we might, person. We might for have that. to relocate to a ship just for fun. Yeah, we can have a party at Club Coming. As long as we just don't witness another robbery. <gasps> I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my God. I will never forget because I was not there was and I regret it. <laughs> we walked into Club Coming with. Um, Casey and uh, uh, Rachel Williams, who wrote the 
book about Anna Delvey. And she was like, oh, I love this place. It's right here. We all get our drinks. We turn around. Full-on cops taking police reports. There was a robbery. The old, there was, one table was a robbery happening with the police. Another table was like a tired drag queen. And then it was us. <laughs> I was just like, this is my favorite bar on earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So un- until then, I guess we'll just be chatting with you on here. But I hope to see some tequila and drag and hopefully just light robberies <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Yes. Like, <laughs> you can also, if you still want to DM me about SpongeBob, you can also DM me at my personal at Sarah Lameem. Join our Facebook group, Not Another True Crime group. We have a lot of fun discussions in there. We're going to be talking about the Hotel Cecil documentary. Of course, you know we will. So yeah, join the group, answer the questions. We'll let you in, have a fun time. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to us. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. And we'll be back next time. Betches.